0: everybody open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33. We're going to study God's Word this morning. We've been working our way verse by verse through the book of Ephesians and today we've arrived at a section of Scripture that I would say is probably in our day and age the most controversial section of Scripture in all of Scripture. Okay, so uh, But I know our ladies here at Fellowship Bible Church, and I know they want to know only what the Lord has to say to them. So that gives me great courage to teach exactly what the Lord says, because I know that's what they want. By the way, if you're visiting, my name is Greg. I serve here as the senior pastor. It's my job to teach and preach, to oversee activities of the church, and it's my pleasure to present to you the word this morning. We'll pick up our reading in chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. From this passage, I'd like to preach to you a sermon entitled, Wives and Gospel Admiration. Wives and Gospel Admiration. I've chosen the word admiration very deliberately and specifically, and I hope from the truth of God's word you'll see why we chose that word today. But one of the things that I wanted to do was make these sessions sound a little bit more counseling than a, and a little less preachy. So let's pray and ask God's help in that endeavor and ask, us to ask him to help us understand this passage. Father, I pray that you would give us enormous grace this morning to know your word, to understand it. But most importantly, give us the courage to look to you and follow your word through. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is the first Sunday of the month, and we do not have children's church, and so our children are here with us this morning. And so, children, I have a little story for you I'd like to tell about myself. I was, I was at a baseball game with my dad. My dad and I got very good tickets. We were right behind home plate. Have you guys seen... Uh, the video of a baseball game where the pitcher is standing and he pitches the ball to the batter and there's the fans sitting back behind the fencing. Have you guys seen that on TV? Any? Have you seen this, what that looks like? Well, that's where my dad and I were. We were right there on the front row. You could see us on TV. The pitcher, who throws the ball incredibly fast, reared back and he threw the ball and the batter swung at the ball and he almost missed it and he almost hit it, but he kind of did neither, and he barely nicked the ball. And the ball rose above the catcher's mitt and started flying backward. Now, children, my dad and I were enjoying the game, and I had a bag of peanuts in my lap, and I was about to Crack open a peanut and eat a salted roasted peanut, one of my favorite things to eat at a baseball game. And suddenly, there was a baseball flying at my face at 100 miles an hour. And momentarily, I forgot that there was a fence between me and the ball. And do you know what I did when I saw that ball flying at my face that had just gotten nicked from the batter? Do you know what I did? I went, Gyah! And guess what happened to my peanuts? <laughs> they went, everywhere. Do you know, children, that God gave us reactions, instincts? He gave us reflexes. You respond with your reflexes to three different things. You can respond with your eyes, you can respond with your ears, or you can respond with something that touches you. Adults, did you know that when you see something, it takes you a full quarter of a second to react to it? When you hear something, you respond to it in half that time. But the fastest response, the fastest reflex that you have is when something touches you. That is what makes you respond the quickest and, frankly, the most violently. We have come to a passage of Scripture today that touches us. And it makes us respond and react reflexively and instinctively. Now, why am I telling this little illustration? Because some reflexes we have to ignore. Let's stick with the baseball metaphor. When I coach little children to catch the ball, I toss them the ball. And do you know what they almost always do the first time I toss them the ball? Reflexively, reactionally, they close their eyes and they turn their head. (laughs) Because they don't want to get hit by the ball. Did you know that that is the one surefire way to get hit by the ball? (laughs) when you're driving your car and you're inexperienced and you hit a patch of wet, and you feel your tires lift off the road, what is your reaction to jerk the wheel? That is the one thing you should never do. You have to learn, you have to coach yourself out of that tendency to jerk the wheel, to overcorrect. There are some reactions and responses that we have to undo that under certain circumstances are good and right and under, under other circumstances are not good. And so, wives, Paul is going to talk to you today. Now, I'm only going to qualify myself one time because I don't want to have to spend the entire sermon qualifying myself. There are some circumstances where your reflex to self-protection is good and right. If you are in an abusive relationship, you need to respond to that and get yourself to safety. That is a good and right reflex. There are cases in which God wants you to use that response of human protection to keep yourself from further harm correct? That's the qualification. But most of the time, we have to train ourselves not to allow that reflex to take over. We have to train ourselves in the way that God wants us to order our lives, which means we have to say no to some things that feel very natural and self-protective. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, let's see what Paul has to say to us. Let's first put up our definition of Christian marriage. I covered this just very briefly in Sunday School. We'll, We'll hit it every time we're in this passage. Christian marriage is an act of divine creation whereby God unifies a man and a woman to complete his image in them as they model the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and their actions and affections. And today we're going to talk about the female side of this equation. Now, ladies, don't worry, the Apostle Paul gives you three verses, and he gives the, the men something like 13 verses, okay? So we're going to hit the men pretty hard, maybe two or three times, okay? So, um, so don't fret. Some of you may have noticed that I have a little cut on my nose. I wanted to joke with everybody that this is what happens to the man who preaches, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> but alas, I was spinning a stick above my head and dropped it, and it hit my nose, <laughs> It was a self-inflicted wound. So we've got three points today, okay? Three points. Gospel admiration, the what? Gospel admiration, the how? And gospel admiration, some practical applications. And under each of those three points, I've got three points. So if you want to follow in your long, follow along in your notes, three points with three points. It'll be easy to outline for you. So what is Paul asking of you? Let's just go to the verse Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and is his body. Let's say, number one, that Paul is asking that wives relate to their husbands in a spirit-filled, submissive manner. Paul is asking that wives relate to their husbands in a spirit-filled, submissive manner. Now, where do we get that from this passage? I'd like to point something out to you. Everybody, look at verse 22. It says, wives, in our ESV, submit to your husbands. And then go down to verse uh, 23 at the end, where it says, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Those two words, submit, you may want to circle because... They are not there in Greek. Okay? They're not there. It simply says, wives, to your own husbands. And then later, wives, to your own husbands in everything. Now, does this mean, ladies, that you're off the hook and don't have to submit? My wife just nodded her head yes. No. Okay? (laughs) Four in chapter 5 verse 21 Paul has just got done saying submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ so he's saying look you're going to have to submit to each other and as a chief application of that i'm going to talk to the ladies now paul also in colossians 3:18 specifies he says wives submit to your husbands and then peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 he says wives submit To your husbands. Okay? This is what Paul is asking. But I want you to know, number two, that Paul is softening the command greatly by leaving off those commands. Okay? Now, this is significant, ladies. It's easy for you to think, well, that's great for the man to say, but consider how gently Paul is actually saying it right here he has a bigger point to make. He's saying there's something very important about your relationship to your husband. In fact, I think the reason the Apostle Paul leaves off the word submit, and he says, wives, to your husbands in all things, or wives, to your own husbands, I think he's saying that because he actually wants to broaden it out and make it more expansive than the word even submit would imply. In other words, he wants an attitude, a pervasive attitude, that runs from your actions and your affections, the way you think about your husband, the way you interact with your husband, to be full-orbed, In everything you say, and everything you do, you can imagine a scenario where, with a rotten attitude, you say, well, I submitted and did what he asked. (laughs) No, no. This is not what Paul has in mind. He is saying, from soup to nuts, affections to actions, to your husband a certain way to your husband a certain way. And that way, as we discovered last week, is to the Lord. It's specifically as the Lord interacts with his church. And what is the chief way that the church interacts with her Lord? Well, it's gratitude and love and admiration, thankfulness, graciousness. There's every expectation that the Lord is going to do us good. And therefore, we can come into the Lord's presence with full hearts, expecting only good. And this is how the Lord wants our ladies, to condition their hearts away from that reaction of self-preservation and into this heart of embracing. Paul, let's flip a page in our Bibles and go to verse 33, ladies, because Paul is going to clarify what he means by wives to your own husbands. Okay? Okay? He says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, that's to the men, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, again, if you like to circle words and write little notes in your Bible, you might want to circle that word and write a few verses next to it, because this is actually the word for fear. It's the word phobeo, phobeo. You, you guys have heard, uh, you know, um, words, you know, uh, arachnophobia, a fear of spiders. Okay, this is the word fear. Now, does this mean the sort of shaking in your knees sort of fear, uh, always worried that the other shoe is going to drop, walking on eggshells, worried that the bomb is going to go off kind of fear? No, the Apostle Paul has a different kind of fear in mind, and, and I do want you to turn to these passages with me, because I think it will help you understand what the Apostle Paul is after. So let's go to Psalm 128, verse 4. Psalm 128 is in the middle of your Bible, and we're going to look at these three passages where the word fear, phabeo, is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He's saying right here, he says in verse 3, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The first thing I want you to notice from this passage is that there is blessing and admiring and respecting and maintaining a reverential awe for the Lord. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways, verse 1. And what comes from that walking in the Lord's way, respecting him, admiring him, having an awe of him, blessing comes from it. And ladies, I would like to submit to you that when you embody this admiration, this Deep and abiding respect for your husband. If he is a Christian, it will stir in him a heart to bless and not to take advantage. Because God is in him, and this is how God works. Let's turn to another passage Psalm 145, verse 19. Let's look at the verse before that. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Okay? Again, this is a person who calls on, who loves, and when Paul says, have a deep and abiding respect, for the Lord, this awe, I'm sorry, have a deep and abiding respect for your husband, this is the type of fear that he has in mind, a call, a look toward. God also fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He wants to run to people who have respect and admiration for him. And ladies, I would say the same is true for Christian husbands. God is in them. He dwells in them. And when they see a wife who admires them, who holds them in esteem, it does something in their heart and they want to fulfill your desires. Now, ladies, if I could just say something to you very quickly that's part of this passage. Most of you understand how much power you wield in the heart of your husband, don't you? Think of the last time somebody hurt you and you reported that to your husband. What did your husband do? Well, he rose to that, didn't he? It angered him. It frustrated him. He wanted to move to you and protect you, help you you wield a lot of power in the heart of your husband and when you look to him with esteem and admiration it makes him want to fulfill your desires especially if they're good and godly now let's turn over to chapter 147 Psalm 147:11 147, the lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love again when we have this sort of admiration, this sort of respect for God, he blesses that, he loves that, he moves toward it, he wants to do it good. And I would submit to you that when you embody that same sort of admiration and respect and honor, it's not as though your husband is a brick wall. He does change as he watches Christ work in you. And as he watches you admire him in that way. So this is why, ladies, I've taken the word admire. Because when Paul summarizes, he uses this word fabe'o, he uses this word fear. But what does he what does that mean in this and what's an effective translation of that? Well, to hold in awe. Maybe that's a little too strong. To respect, to hold in high esteem. I don't know what better word than admire. And ladies, I want to ask, if I were to ask your husband, does she look at you with the same admiration that she had before you were married? Would he say yes or no? Now, maybe that's partly his fault that you don't. But for your part, do you still have that admiration that you did in the days that you were dating? Now, Paul's going to talk about the how. This is the what? Gospel admiration. Holding in esteem. Also, I think Paul knows what he's saying when he summarizes this because when you admire somebody, you have no problem coming underneath of them. When you really admire somebody, it's easy to submit to them. In fact, most of the time, there's nothing to submit to because you're already on the same page. You're a team. How does this happen? Number one, it happens as to the Lord. We saw this in last week. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? That means Jesus is your chief example for submission. What is God asking you to do? He's asking you to be like Jesus. He's asking you to do everything Jesus did. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says that Jesus submitted, and it's the word, patasso, he submitted to his mom and dad. And I would like to confess to you that the Lord of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, the person who holds all things together by the word of his power, the man who held together the molecular structure of Mary and Joseph, submitted to them. The, the the more mighty, the more powerful, the more godly came under his mom and his dad. So much so that Jesus was at a wedding and his mother went up to him and said, you need to make more wine. <laughs> well, it wasn't his time yet. Jesus said, it's not my time. And she usurped him. She said, she just said to the servant, she just blew Jesus off. Jesus said, do what he says, and took off. Now, what could Jesus have done in that? He he could have said, hey, mom, get back here. You don't talk to the Lord of glory that way. Would you have faulted him for that? Well, of course not. He's the Lord. He came under her. He came under her. A somewhat unreasonable, knee-jerk reaction to a small problem in the grand scheme of things. And he honored her. He came under her. And so, ladies, Jesus is your model. Jesus came underneath of and submitted to corrupt government. He submitted to the mobs. He submitted to Pontius Pilate. He submitted to the corrupt priests. He submitted to a broken trial and legal system that was a charade. He came under it all because his God asked him to. This is what God is asking you to do. You do this with Jesus as your pattern. Number two, it says that you are to submit to your husbands as as the church to Christ Because Christ is himself the savior of the church. This language is really complicated, and it's hard to kind of untangle. But I think the obvious point is this, that Christ and his saving power is the primary reason for submission and admiration. say, well, why, why do I need to? Because because Christ died for you. You you are owned by Christ by way of creation and by way of purchase. You're owned twice. He made you and he bought you. And the God who bought you with his own blood, who saved you from your sins, is asking you to come under and admire your husband. Number three, gospel admiration, the how. We read, as the church submits to Christ. Christ and his care for the church is the primary expectation for submission and admiration. Now, ladies, this is the, this is the sort of point I've been working toward, especially with our with our Introduction. You are to condition your responses in accordance with how Christ responds to the church. How many of you have hesitated to ask your husband for something because he'll probably just say no anyway? How many, how often have you been tempted to hide something from your husband because you assume that he probably wouldn't like it anyway? Or how frequently have you tried to manipulate your husband because you've assumed the worst of your husband? have you ever had the experience of seeing points of evidence along the way? And as you put your investigator hat on and pile up all the evidence, you conclude that your husband had bad intentions. And you get angry because surely your husband was up to no good. But then... The next day comes around, and you find out that your husband was keeping something from you. It's a special dinner, or a birthday surprise, or something that was actually to your good. And once you saw it from his perspective, you realize that the whole thing had been suspicion and fear and a sinful tendency to respond and protect ourselves rather than expecting and assuming the best. I won't ask anybody to raise their hands, but I'm sure we've all been there a time or two. What God wants from our marriages is for the husbands to have such a track record of love and grace and mercy that the wife can begin to expect Her husband will be postured to her just as Christ is postured to the church where every request is yes and amen. And even when Christ doesn't give us exactly what we want, in the end, it was always for our best. And so our husbands say, you know, I really don't think we should go that direction. Our wives say, well, I see that, I see your perspective, and I'm with you. Because there's every expectation that your husband has your best interest at heart, not assuming that he has his best interest at heart. He has a track record of love and self-denial. That's God's pattern for this. Okay? Now, let's have some practical considerations. Some practical considerations. Ladies, number 1. Wives must be actively involved in the church to model Christ and the church. Okay? You can't model Christ in the church if you're not actively involved in a church. Okay? Now ladies, I want to be very clear about this. One of the greatest insurance policies that you have in life is active involvement in a local church. It provides accountability. Should sin take place? It provides support. Should there be sin taking place? And if you remove yourself from an active participation in the local church, you have just taken yourself out of that umbrella of protection. Now, there's a lie that you will tell yourself. You'll say, the only way I can keep my husband or the only way I can keep my children is to follow them out of the church to get close to them. And I want you to know that never, ever works because this person just keeps moving the goal line backward. You've you've now put yourself in a very vulnerable position. And remember, the number one goal of your marriage is to picture Christ in the church. And you can't picture Christ in the church if you're not actively a part of a church. The, the protection it brings and the picture it offers should constantly keep you wanting to stay in and close to a body of believers. Even if your husband stops going, you get there. Even if your children stop going, you get there. Your number one love is the Lord. And for you to fulfill your role, you have to be actively involved in it. Number two, the test of gospel admiration occurs most often in a wife's expectations rather than in her responses. Okay, let me say that again. That's a little complicated, and I'm going to give an example that I think you'll see the test of your admiration, the test of whether or not you admire your husband occurs most often in your expectations rather than in your responses. Okay, It's been several years ago, happened in a different state, was asked to help counsel in a situation where there had been adultery, and it was the wife who had committed adultery. When getting to the bottom of it, It took us a while, but in the end, the wife said the following. She said, look, I had convinced myself that my husband was either having an affair or was going to have an affair. And so I decided that since that, that, that little lie got in there, and she began grinding on that, And it became essentially a fact in her mind. And so when another man came along and gave her attention, she thought, well, may as well, because my husband has already been unfaithful or will be. Now, her husband had been very faithful to her. He had not violated his command now was he perfect by no means by no means but when he had an opportunity to speak he was saying I saw my wife going away from me and in my efforts to move toward her and bring her back I know I was just pushing her farther away and that was because she expected him to do her wrong rather than expecting him to do her right. And so, ladies, I would just implore you, it's not the response to a situation that will show whether or not you admire your husband. It's when you're looking at something on the front side and the suspicion kicks in. Or the frustration kicks in. That's when the admiration of your husband will be tested. Okay? Number three. Wives should admire their husbands to the measure of Christ's request, not to the measure of their husbands. (laughs) Ladies, I have a question for you. Okay? You can just answer this really bluntly and loudly. Okay? Ready? Do I deserve Danielle's admiration? Somebody? <laughs> Rhonda's shaking her head vigorously. No. Okay? No. I don't deserve Danielle's admiration. Does Danielle get to keep a little calculator? of all the good things Greg does during the day, and if he hits the requisite number of honorable things, then she'll honor me. No, because what she's doing, if she does that, is she's setting up a game that she always wins, right? Christ isn't saying, admire your husband to the degree of his admirability, which in my case I know would be low. He's saying, admire your husbands to the measure that you admire Christ. And that's a lofty goal, isn't it? Well, husbands, love your wives as much as Christ loved the church. He hung naked on a cross and died for her. And endured scoffing and shame, and dishonor beyond imagined. He sacrificed his standing in heaven to become a man because he loved us. So husbands, I think think we have the greater responsibility. But wives, remember, you're not keeping track of your husband's behavior and honoring him accordingly. You're looking at Christ and transferring Admiration to your husband by grace, just as Christ has graced you. Okay, Do you deserve the love of Christ? Well, no. But you've been given it anyway. And so we admire by grace. So maybe you can say that to your husband next time he does something foolish. You just say, you know what, honey? By grace, I'm going to admire you. Okay? (laughs) Actually, please don't say that. (laughs) <laughs> just admire him mm-hmm. I'll close with this thought I I hadn't I, I was um, I was with a friend uh, in when I was in high school I was a, trying to remember I think it was a sophomore in high school and I knew this couple to be a, a devoted Christian couple their son was my friend we played together on the baseball team and um her husband was an idiosyncratic man. He had quirks. He was a, a construction worker. He was wider than he was tall. Okay. <laughs> and he 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 was he was a good old boy now. I mean he, he talked like it. And I love that man. Well, I said something disparaging of that man in front of his bride and she just stopped me short said listen to me young man that is a hard working man who provides for my family and that was that she admired her husband and when his honor was threatened by a punk little 15 year old or whatever i was she rose to his defense That sort of admiration only comes with cultivation. And I would encourage you to start cultivating that admiration that you have for your husbands as you cultivate your admiration for the Lord. And whatever you see in your husband that is also true of Christ, magnify that and dwell on it. And that will stir in you admiration for the man God has given you.